0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we're once again going to talk about Black Widow, or more specifically Scarlett Johansson, the MCU, and her lawsuit against Disney for violating, as she claims, their distribution obligations in the contract that she entered into to make the Black Widow movie. Now, if you've been in virtual legality for a while, you know we talked about this a few weeks ago, but the main supposition in Scarlett Johansson's case is that the obligation that Disney had was to release her movie on a wide theatrical basis, which Disney did. They released it in, I believe it's 4,000 theaters or some other number that's very, very high and wouldn't really be disputed as being widely distributed, but they also distributed it on Disney+. Plus day and date to that release. And Scarlett Johansson's claim is that there is an implied duty of exclusivity when a contract says that something is going to be widely distributed on a theatrical basis. And that's not going to be an easy fight one way or the other. There's going to be a lot of evidence that changes hands if it, of course, goes to trial and doesn't just get settled. And in the midst of all that, a lot of people have been talking about how this happened. We mentioned in our video that we thought that this was essentially Disney turning its back on a character or an actress that they didn't need for the MCU much anymore, and that my preference would be for all of these contracts to be at least relooked at in the midst of the pandemic, and Disney appears to not have done that. But today offered a new data point. As the Wall Street Journal put forth an article entitled, How Disney and Scarlett Johansson Reached the Point of No Return. Now, this is unfortunately paywalled, but it's big news, and so it's been summarized in a number of places. I like the summary that GameSpot did which was entitled Scarlett Johansson asked for $100 million after Black Widow shifted to Disney plus simultaneously released. This included a $20 million starting salary and $80 million in what was projected to be the star's box office net. Now, we were going to break this down in this video, and I'm really more concerned about the number than some of the other details that are apparently a part of the Wall Street Journal article, like whether the Russos are ever going to direct for Disney again. Money solves a lot of those problems in the long run if you're a giant megacorp with a lot of entertainment dollars at your disposal. But in respect of this particular issue, I do think, as I put in the thumbnail, what you're looking at is a significant mistake in negotiation, if nothing else. So let's talk about what happened here. As Spot says, the Wall Street Journal reports that after Disney Marvel announced that Black Widow would have a simultaneous release on Disney+, Plus, Johansson's lawyers came to the movie studio asking for an $80 million payment to make up for the shift to at-home streaming. To come up with the number, Johansson's team estimated that Black Widow would have made $1.2 billion at the box office in pre-pandemic times. Johansson would also be paid $20 million as a starting salary for a total of $100 million for Black Widow. And we don't see Disney disputing the $20 million base salary concept anywhere. I think they even mention that they have paid the $20 million to Scarlett Johansson. So that appears to have been agreed upon. She was always going to get $20 million For starring in this movie and then in the contract that she entered into she was going to get back end profit participation of some kind and if you've been with us for a while you know we talk about these kinds of concepts royalties commissions contingent payment in other contexts outside of the entertainment fields but if you aren't familiar with back end overall i've pulled up the ms in the biz blog that has some summaries of this kind of concept The back end is a way for the author of the source material or anybody else participating who may be eligible, like Scarlett Johansson, to get some profit participation. This means that they are then paid some of the profit the film makes after it breaks even. This can be anywhere from a couple to more than 10% of the total gross after the film covers production and promotional costs, which is called the net gross. This total is just checked after the majority of the box office money has come in and then all of the other costs are subtracted from it. Now we take the specified percentage points, sometimes called net points, and take that out of the remaining monetary sum. It's pretty simple math, even though Hollywood, as you are undoubtedly familiar with, plays games with how the accounting is done here. It's something you have to be wary of if you're on the actor's side of the equation. It's a fairly standard concept. You're going to have some money that you spent to make this film. You're going to take that out, and then the remainder, the profit that the studio is making, that the actors are making, is going to be split as to whatever the agreement is between the contracts. Now, there is another way of doing this that is, of course, more beneficial for the actor or whoever else is getting these kinds of points themselves, and that's gross profit. right? We talked when we discussed the licensing agreement for publishing a video game in this space about the difference between net and gross. If you can get a gross deal, then you're going to get more money because you don't have to argue about what is netted out in terms of costs. We don't know the specifics of Scarlett Johansson's contract. What we do know is that her team came in and said, you're going to owe us $80 million based on the fact that we would have had a box office of $1.2 billion in pre-pandemic times. Now, there's a few issues with this just on its face. First, $1.2 billion, even for the MCU, is a very significant number. If you go and you pull up the worldwide box office, for the MCU movies. $1.2 million is north of everything except Black Panther and the Avengers movies. It's north of the Spider-Man Far From Home that came out in that Endgame year. It's north of Captain America Civil War. It's north of Captain Marvel, which was the setup between Infinity War and Endgame. So it's a lot of money. And I don't really have a doubt that Disney said when they're trying to convince Scarlett Johansson and her team to sign this contract that we believe we can bring in $1.2 billion. That's part of the kind of conversation that you'd have in that context. So I don't believe that they're just pulling this number out of thin air. They're probably looking at Spider-Man Far From Home, which was the MCU movie that was the last released before Black Widow, saying, hey, that's $1.1 billion. We think we can get to $1.2 billion because it's been a couple of years of inflation. There's pent-up demand, etc., etc." But... I think anybody looking at Black Widow as a film from the outside already had identified certain issues with the concept, just in terms of storytelling, right? You've got a character that has, spoiler alert, died in the series already, having a prequel story told that doesn't really easily fit in. It doesn't have the advantage of being Spider-Man Far From Home, advancing the ball, or at least being an epilogue to the events of Endgame. It doesn't have the advantage of being Captain Marvel, which was a setup in Infinity War that presumably would lead to some materiality into Endgame. I don't know that it did that. It's more along the lines, in my opinion, of something like a Thor Ragnarok. Very popular character. Very well-received movie. Well, better received, I think, than Black Widow ultimately was, but made $850 million worldwide. Now, that's 2017. You could advance that a little bit. Maybe that's your best-case scenario. Either way, what we do know is that $1.2 billion wasn't on the table for 2021 in any capacity we aren't looking at 2019 as a year so when you walk into disney's offices and say we should get paid as if the pandemic didn't happen i'm hanging up the phone i'm not listening to you you can see successful movies in 2021 fast and the furious 9 makes 710 million dollars worldwide godzilla versus kong largely thought to be successful makes 470 million dollars black widow of course comes in at 370 and everything else is below that. Now you might get a better result from Shang-Chi. It's having a very good opening weekend, but it's unclear exactly how much more it's going to make. All of these movies that are releasing during the pandemic are going to be making less money than they would have made in 2019. And that's the nature of a back end deal. It's the nature of getting royalties instead of certainty. If you wanted to make $40 million, they probably would have given you $40 million, but you don't get to participate in the back end. But you think, hey, the MCU makes a lot of money, I'll take some back end participation, and I'll make even more than I would have made. But you're in then the same boat with the studio, again, assuming that nobody's hiding the ball in accounting and all this other stuff, because we have no reason to believe that that's a part of this particular story. When you're in that same boat, you're taking the risk along with getting the reward. And those risks can include everything. They can include a bad director, a bad script, bad critical acclaim, a co-star getting in trouble with some kind of scandal, or a pandemic or an epidemic that kills the entire industry and a movie that still needs to get out the door in some capacity. So if I'm Disney, I'm looking at this and saying, you don't get to just say, well, we would have made $1.2 billion if we lived in an alternative universe. That's not the way any of this works. Now, the other aspect of this is that the Wall Street Journal reported that Disney didn't really respond to them at all. It said, one factor was uncertainty over which of Disney's top bosses would negotiate the deal. Disney CEO Bob Chapek was busy leading the company through the pandemic. Disney movie bosses like Alan Bergman and Kareem Daniel didn't return calls or emails. And I look at this as a specific fault Of the negotiation right i look at a hundred million dollars as effectively ridiculous a ridiculous ask in 2021 why do i view it that way well we can do a little back of the envelope math right they asked for 80 million dollars off of a 1.2 billion dollar worldwide gross and looking at that math we can see that back of the envelope they expect something like six and two-thirds percent of the worldwide gross to accrue to their client now i say it's back of the envelope because there's all sorts of things that are very likely in the contract that's changing this on the fly. That they could have a net agreement where Disney's gonna take costs off and they get 10% of net. And so they've estimated that it's actually six and two thirds percent of gross. To come up with this number, we don't know the specifics, but what we do know is that they asked for six and two thirds percent of the worldwide gross. And if we extrapolate that to what actually happened, then instead of $80 million, The movie makes $370 million and she would be entitled to about $24.68 million more. Not an insubstantial amount of money. You might also say, well, Rick, yeah, but her main complaint in her lawsuit is that Disney deliberately squashed that number by releasing it simultaneously on Premier Access. And I would say that's a good point. I think we should consider that as part of this analysis. In fact, we had Disney announcing that they had received $60 million more dollars in Disney Plus Premier Access only on the opening weekend. So let's give Scarlett Johansson and her team the benefit of the doubt. Say it doesn't stop at $60 million, even though that was the most likely time for people to buy Premier Access to the movie. Let's say it's actually $100 million. So the movie actually made 370, let's give them credit fully for another $100 million in box office for Disney Premier Access, even though that isn't box office technically in the definitions of the contract almost certainly. That would yield $31.35 million more to Scarlett Johansson and her team for a total compensation, remember getting that $20 million in base salary of between 44 and 51 million. And of course, we don't know what these numbers are gonna wind up looking like before they happen, when that agent walks into Disney's office, but we do know it's not gonna look like 2019. So if you realistically, have the right to something like $50 million, and you come into my office and you say, I want $100 million. One of the things that happens in a negotiation is that if you go too far, and people will tell you, you should always ask for more than you want so that you can negotiate with the other side down to a level where you're comfortable. That's not wrong necessarily, but you can't just absolutely kill the negotiation by asking for double or triple or quadruple of where you'd be comfortable winding up. Because the tendency for the other side is to treat you as fundamentally unserious, right? If your total comp is likely somewhere in the $50 million range in 2019, and that's not fair to you. You didn't start the pandemic, Scarlett Johansson and Scarlett Johansson's team. We understand that. But understand that having a profit-sharing piece of the pie here puts you in the boat with us. We're not thrilled about any of this either. We would love to have this movie make $1.2 billion. It was never, ever, ever in the cards. And you can try to project out, hey, if we didn't release it on Disney+, Plus, where does this wind up? I think being maximally generous, you wind up with something like a Fast and the Furious 9, $710 million, which of course was doing work in jurisdictions outside the United States, which I don't know would have been the case for Black Widow. But that's really your maximal point if you're negotiating this thing at this point in time none of those numbers yield something like $100 million. So it's no surprise. They might be blaming an issue with communication and various people that had the rights to have these conversations. But it's no surprise to me that when you walk in and you ask for $100 million and say, we should get paid as if the pandemic doesn't exist, Disney looks at that and says, well, that's at least $50 million more than we think we would have to pay, even in the worst case scenario where a judge turns around on us, that can pay for a lot of lawyer's time, a lot of legal fees, a lot of time that will have to be spent by the people that wanna prosecute us. And I don't think if I'm Disney that I'm taking those calls anymore because you've represented that you're fundamentally unserious. And I, I don't necessarily blame her or her team for trying to get the maximum amount possible. Where I do look at this, I say that maximum amount was ridiculous. And that's how you get into situations where you're in the Wall Street Journal, where maybe neither side is looking particularly good after some point in time. And I'm saying this as someone that when I originally saw this story, I was fully willing to say, well, Disney is probably playing around with their contracts and believing that that was in all likelihood the case. Having read it, having done the summary that I did here in Virtual Legality, I don't think Disney's playing around too much. And I certainly think this is the kind of thing that should have been settled behind closed doors. But when you have this piece of information now that says your team came in with what I view as a fairly ludicrous position, I can now see fully exactly how a case like this comes to be. If you enjoy talking about the business and law of things like entertainment, technology, software, please consider supporting the channel. We've got a Patreon. We've got other ways to support it below. Or if you just like these conversations in general, subscribing, telling your friends, upvoting, downvoting, leaving comments every little bit helps we're not always talking about the mcu or scarlett johansson in this space but when we do we try to make it informational educational and entertaining if you caught this on youtube thank you so much for watching and if you listen to it as a podcast thank you so much for listening and i will catch you on the very next episode of virtual legality virtual legality is a youtube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only